I can see, if you're looking at this and you were here last week, <clears throat> you're thinking, another vineyard? How many vineyards do we have to do? How many vineyards has this guy got? But indeed, if you look at Matthew 20, which we did last week, the workers in the vineyard, and turn the page, you'll find the tenants in the vineyard. So let's read this parable. And remember again, parables are there, they're pithy short stories, usually to make one point, which is revealed or concealed, depending on whether we have ears to hear. Parables often have a twist in the tale, something to surprise us, and lastly, parables always call forth a response. Always call forth a response. So whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let's read this one. Parable of the tenants. Listen to another parable, said Jesus. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a winepress in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at the harvest time. And so Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvellous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Let's just pray briefly. Heavenly Father, as you bring us this story, Lord, another story, Father, help us, Lord, to see ourselves as you want us to see us, as you want to see us, Lord, in this story, to realise, Father, what it is that you have to say to us today. Lord, whoever has ears this morning, let them hear. Amen. So, if you were to read this story in the newspaper, this would be a pretty horrific story if it was on news at 10, right? Some awful things happening. There's fraud, where the people are, are, are not giving what they should from the vineyard. There's gang violence, where they gang up and stone people. There's theft, and there's serial murder. It's pretty bad, right? Pretty bad series of, uh, uh, of, of incidents. And in fact, the people he spoke to were also shocked. This, is, this seems quite shocking. Wasn't that unusual in those days for a landlord to leave a, ten, to leave a vineyard with tenants and move away? And normally, it was the landlord who was considered to be the bad guy and the tenants are the good guys, the poor tenants. But Jesus will turn that around in this story. Surely, they would have said, he doesn't mean us, surely we're not bad tenants. And again, we, have, we risk uh, falling into the same trap. Surely he's talking about other people. Well, let's see who was talking about. Let's run through it again briefly. So, there was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a <coughs> wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented it out. So, he cares about this vineyard, is the first thing we see. He's built a wall around it. He's dug a wine press to take the delicious fruits and make wine. The wall will keep out wild animals. 
Uh, the watchtower will enable him, them to look for thieves. He cares about this vineyard. <clears throat> the landowner in this story is God. The tenants are the people left within God's kingdom and the work is to look after God's kingdom, whatever that means. And then when harvest time approached, he sent his servants, but they beat the servants up, they stoned them, then he sends more, then he beats them up, they beat them up and stone them. The servants are the prophets that have been sent throughout the the, uh, centuries preceding Jesus. And um, this story, this parable ring, has rings of uh, the first verses to the Hebrews. If you remember that, in the past, says the writer to the Hebrews, God spoke to our fathers at many times and in different ways through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken by his son. God appeals to his people many times through the prophets, through the centuries before Jesus, to look after what he's given them to care, to bring hope, to be good stewards. Maybe they didn't recognize the servants. Maybe they didn't recognize the prophets. But in the parable, they recognize the last one. This is the son. Finally, the owner of the vineyard says, I will send my son. Surely they will respect him. But when the tenants see the son, they say, this is the heir. If we get rid of this one, that landowner, he's old, he's far away. What else can he do? The vineyard's ours. And so that's what they do. The son is Jesus. Um, Remarkably, uh, this happens just weeks before. They actually do this. So just weeks later, they will take Jesus and they will nail him to a cross. Astonishingly, this is just a few weeks before that. And something inside them tells them who this person is. This is the the son. This is is the inheritance. And they, they kill him. Therefore, says Jesus, what do you think will happen? And these folks standing around who are about to do this, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, say, well, he will bring those wretches to a wretched end and he will take the vineyard and give it to other tenants who will look after it. He will take the vineyard and give it to other tenants and new people who will look after this. Who are the new tenants then is a question. Tenants, God, God, God will bring in a new people. And Jesus is telling this parable uh, to the, the leaders, the teachers of the law, and warning them, actually, there's another people, the Gentiles, the people who are not, who were not the people of God. And the point that Jesus says, it's not enough just to know stuff. It's not enough to know the scriptures. It's not enough just to believe. Are you looking after God's vineyard? Are you really looking after God's vineyard? So to summarise then, God has given management of this world to tenants and there is a history of mismanagement. There is a a history of the world, the vineyard, being mismanaged over centuries. That things are not as God wanted them to be. So God sends his prophets to collect the fruits and warn them, all's not well. Things things are not well in this vineyard. What are you going to do to change it? But the tenants reject them and then they reject the son to seize control of the vineyard themselves. Eventually God comes, not as another prophet, but to judge and gives everything to new tenants. So, that's the parable. Now let's ask the same two questions we should always ask when we come to scripture, which is what did it mean to them? 
what does, it, what does it mean for us? Which could be the same or could be different. What does it mean for them? And what does it mean for us? So what does it mean for them? <coughs> it's about Israel's failure in, in its duties. That many prophets have arisen. <clears throat> God has sent them. We see them all in the Old Testament. Um, minor prophets, major prophets, Zechariah, Amos, Isaiah, many prophets who basically have all been rejected. The kingdom, then, is to be given away and given to a new people, says Jesus. You've had your chance and you've mismanaged what's happening here. You've mismanaged what I gave to you. And I will bring a new people who are not, as Paul will say later, they are not um, the pure olive tree that God planted. They are wild branches that will be brought in. But I can do that, says God, and graft them onto the olive tree, even though you didn't expect that's an, that you didn't expect that. Jesus himself is the son. So if that's what it means for them, because we're not, today, we're not Pharisees and teachers of the law, and we're not, it, it wouldn't make sense for us to say, well, the Gentiles, we are the Gentiles, right? Most of us. So what does it mean for us then, this parable? Well, same thing, God's vineyard, we are left in charge of it. It's the world. It's around, it's what everything is around us. Work is needed. God really cares about this vineyard. He doesn't just say, there's a field over there, go and look after it. He has put work into this. He has dug a wine press to take the fruits and to use them. He has built a wall to keep out wild animals. He has built a watchtower to look for thieves. He cares about this. And there will be work to do with this vineyard, clearing stones, planting vines, watering, pruning, it takes effort. The problem with the tenants? I I would summarise the problem with the tenants as perhaps like this. There is a spirit of entitlement. This is ours. It's ours now. Where's the owner? It's not here. We can do what we want. We can do what we want. We don't have to account to anybody. Surely we can treat this place however we want to, and no one's going to do anything about it. There was a spirit of entitlement that this is ours. We can do whatever we want. (coughs) So when we think today about how that parable, what could it mean to us, I think there are two ways we can take this teaching. There's the way we normally take, and then there's another way. Okay, Looking after this, God's vineyard means looking after his people, looking after the people around us, being salt and light, taking the good news, caring for one another. That's all part of looking after God's kingdom. But also looking after his world, looking after the world around us. And that's something we're going to talk about for the rest of this service. The kids are looking at this topic and they're going to bring something back for us. And I suggest to you that actually God cares about his world. Not We, we normally, and when I started this sermon, I, I did start on the left-hand thing, this is, that's what we normally do as evangelicals. And that's good. We must talk about looking after God's people and people who are not of God. We must talk about that. But something we never talk about is what about God's actual world? Does God care about that? Does he want us to care about that? What happens? How does that work? So we're going to talk about that for the rest of this service. It's not the first application of this parable. Clearly, in Jesus' day, there weren't these problems. There wasn't recycling. There weren't plastics. There weren't, although there was actual uh, abuse of the underclass, of, of the poorest. 
But it is a timely and relevant application, I think. And interestingly, and we've talked about this a little bit at members' meeting, it's one area where, uh, the, where the church should be in line with the spirit of this world. Normally, we find ourselves in contradiction with the spirit of this world, whether it's political correctness or whatever it is. You can't um, take the message into schools. We normally find ourselves in contradiction with this world. But here is an area that the world is, race, is running with and realizing that actually we are, in a ser- we are at a serious risk of destroying our planet. And so for once, the zeitgeist, the spirit of this age, is also a spirit that we can, uh, we can align with ourselves. And we will come back to this topic, to both of these topics, over the next 12 months, environmental issues and ethical issues, trading, ethical trading, fair trade, ethical buying. Today we're going to talk about the first one. So I've nearly finished, but I, I'm just going to show you a few verses as I end, then we'll worship and then the kids will come back. Uh, and I, and I, that, this is another way of saying this spirit of entitlement. Do we, are we at risk of having this spirit of entitlement when we look around us? Do we treat the world as if we never have to account for what's out there? Surely that's, that's not our problem. Do we sometimes think we're entitled to everything in this world and answerable to no one? Here are a few verses from Scripture which I hope will help convince you that that is not the case, that God actually deeply cares about his creation, deeply cares about his creation. Let's just look at them briefly. First, this one, first chapter of Genesis, first verses of Genesis. God said, I command the ocean to be full of living creatures. I command birds to fly above the earth. God made the giant sea creatures and all the living creatures that swim in the ocean. He also made every kind of bird. God looked at what he had done and it was good. God said, this is good. This is good. If God says it's good, it's probably good. We should, be, we should care about that. If God said it's good, who are we to say, it doesn't matter. Or this verse from Isaiah 55. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Is that not a joy, that, uh, a verse that invites us to be exuberant about God's creation, to delight in God's creation, to delight in the wonder, in the wonders around us? I think it is. I think God is saying, this is great. Enjoy it. You'll go out in joy. And you'll stand on that mountaintop or over that, over that beach or wherever it is, and you'll just thank me for it. Or this verse from uh, Leviticus and repeated many times in the Old Testament law. After you enter the land that I'm giving you, it must be allowed to rest for one year out of every seven. You may raise grain and grapes for six years, but the seventh year, you must let your fields and your vineyards rest. This is to be a time of complete rest for your fields. And in our age of deforestation, where I don't know how many now football fields of trees are cut down every day in the Amazon, in these days of intensive farming, have we forgotten that? That God actually cares about the land. God says, no, no, the land is supposed to rest. You're not supposed to just pillage it. It's supposed to have a rest. That's important. And lastly, and the verse that the kids will take up when we come in, there's the well-known story of Noah. And so Genesis 9, after the flood, God destroys the earth. 
God destroys the earth with a flood, but then he makes this promise. Never again, never again will the earth be destroyed by water. And this is interesting, a couple of things. The rainbow that I've put in the sky, he says, will be, will be my sign to you and to every living creature on earth. When I send clouds over the earth and a rainbow appears in the sky, I will remember my promise to you and to all other living creatures. Never again will I let flood waters destroy all life. I think there's a really important section in there that's repeated twice that we never see. Because we think, as evangelical Christians, we think God made a promise to Noah and to, and to men and women. Actually, if you look at that, no, God made a promise to all living creatures. Look at it again. That promise is to all living creatures, not just for you and me. So God covenants with living creatures. He says, never again will I destroy the floodwaters. And if God has said, never again will the earth be destroyed by flood, what right do we have to destroy the earth? What right do we have to destroy the earth? So the question that we've, children have been asking is, what does it mean to be a steward, a good steward of this world? Uh, how does that work? And I've already said, and as a church, we're trying to move forward with something that, uh, a document that you'll get in the next day or two. Please read it. And there's a danger here that we'll think, well, yeah, that's so someone else can do that. Think about how it applies to you as well. Because um, that's, it's all right saying in church we'll do these things, but at home, do you, do you look at the cleaning materials that you use? Are they eco-friendly or the toiletries? Do you try and cut down on paper? <laughs> I was double-sided, double-sided. <laughs> <laughs> to try and cut down on paper and use electronic communications. Lots of things uh, before we even talk about fair trade or ethical trading. And we'll be looking at that and voting on that on Thursday. And it's come from uh, the group that Emma and Esther and uh, uh, Leslie have been leading. So, I'm going to, there's a little story here because, and it's, a little, and it's about what's happening in the world, what's happening about the, the climate. And it's based on a true story. The girl's name is made up, but it's based on a true story. Because we often think, we see the news, and uh, it seems very far away, and uh, the, the, the temperature changes in the ocean, the corals that are dying, um, the floods that might be, they never seem to be here in Lim. But here's a view from somebody who lives in a low-lying island, an island in the sea that's quite low, and this is her story, and she's called Salote. And, her, and the question that she asks, which she doesn't understand, is why is the weather so angry? It's what we call climate change, but why is the weather so angry? So let's watch that. So based on truth, it, it's alarming, isn't it, when we hear a, a story from a little girl and her home is being destroyed because of the climate. And we think the climate is changing because of things that we're doing. And we will come back to this idea of stewardship more than once in the next year. But this is just an introduction and an invitation to read this document that comes.